in to Poke the Bear episode 152 presented by FanDuel. I am Connor Ryan and uh, if you guys noticed, flying solo today. Our uh, esteemed uh, colleague Evan Marinovsky is down uh, the Cape uh, for the week, uh, gallivanting around for I get a nice cream Sunday, getting a frap at Sunday school. You know, he's probably at the beach coma, having a few Coronas, as as one does around this time of year. So it's a it's a one man show uh, today, and you stuck with me. So uh, thankfully, um, much to I'm sure Evan's relief, the Bruins aren't doing a whole lot right now. Again, we're in the buyout window. Uh, the, the Bruins have had a chance now to um, create some cap space by maybe buying out a guy like uh, Mike Riley or, or Derek Fulbert. Nothing happened yet. Again, this uh, episode will drop on Friday, so if anything changes, please don't yell at me. But uh, right now, not much to report. Still in the waiting uh, waiting zone here as we get ready for, I think, um, the week ahead when things should really start ramping up when you're looking at the draft. You're looking at the start of free agency next weekend. Um, things are going to, I think, start getting hectic uh, pretty soon. So as we brace for a, a pretty busy couple of weeks here in the offseason – I figure what better time than to do a nice, uh, nice mailbag episode, right? So um, thankfully, we reached out to a few uh, people on Twitter, asked for a few questions. So um, we'll go through a couple of them right now and kind of just assess the state of the Bruins and what uh, some of the questions that our loyal listeners have been asking about. So I think we should probably just get started off now by looking at one uh, question uh, from Twitter. Uh, Jamie Nichols uh, at Jamie in Boston says, do they keep any of the players they traded for last season? Uh, that remains to be seen, but I think when you look at it right, um, between Dmitry Orlov, Tyler Bertuzzi, Garnet Hathaway, I think the one that you can probably eliminate right from the stat is actually Dmitry Orlov. And again, this is a guy that the Bruins you know, gave up some pretty solid assets for him for a guy that I think could really round out their, their decor, a guy that could really complement an already very strong roster they had. And even though you look in the playoffs against the Panthers, he had a few up and down games where maybe a little bit too much risk reward for probably what the Bruins were hoping for. You look at the offensive generation he was able to create uh, from the blue line. Um, You saw spurts of that physicality. This is a guy that is going to get a very nice payday uh, this offseason. It's probably the last big payday of his career at his age. And I think when you look at the Bruins, it's – I mean, let's be realistic now. You've got less than $5 million in cash space as of right now. Uh, the NHL pretty much announced that the salary cap's only going up a million. So you're already going to be up against it. You had to be very, very selective if you're the Bruins with who you're going to be targeting uh, this offseason in terms of either signing a free agency, who you're retaining, what have you. Uh, even if the Bruins had an extra, you know, four or five million in cap space, I just don't see how they have. Uh, the resources available to re-sign a guy like Orlov in terms of how he fits in. And I think you look at the short term, uh, yes, of course you'd love Orlov in terms of what he brings. It's You, again, had the luxury of, even though they kind of strayed away from a little bit, of having a guy like McAvoy, Lindholm, and Orlov each kind of anchor their own pair. Like That is a luxury that very, very few teams have. And it's why the Bruins kind of went in all, all in last year to acquire him from the Capitals. But I think when you're the Bruins and you're facing this situation uh, of, of trying to, you know, find who to retain here and what players are kind of viewed as a luxury with what limited fiscal resources you have, I just don't see Orlov being a realistic option there. And I think even if you look at it, right, 
the Bruins right now, obviously, you're still waiting to find out uh, about Bergeron and Krejci and kind of what the next steps there uh, are there. But this is still a team that when you look at, you have Pasternak sign long-term, you have McAvoy, uh, you know, Zaka, you have, you know, the the foundation for this next generation of Bruins talent is there, and it's what the Bruins are trying to build. Yes, they're trying to compete now. Obviously, they went all in, but I think it's something that Evan and I have both hopped on quite a bit is – this is still a team that should be pretty competitive um, both next year and especially the years after that, if they can, you know, keep that fiscal flexibility. I mean, you look at next year, yes, this summer is going to be very difficult in terms of, you know, really doing a spending spree or really augmenting the roster, unless you want to move a lot of proven assets off this team. But you look at next year, they're projected to have 29 million in cap space um, next season. And it's not accounting for, how much the cap could jump up. Like once that escrow is paid off by the players, you could have five, six million uh, in addition for next year. And then another four or 5 million year after that, you could have a $10 million jump in the salary cap ceiling by 25, 26. And if you're the Bruins and you've already have guys like McAvoy and Lindholm and, and Zaka and a few of these other players locked up long-term, you ideally have Jeremy Swayman signed this year as well. All of a sudden, you have a, a pretty good core in place, and then you have a lot of cap room where you can uh, really bolster that team. So whether that's going out and signing a, a top six center that's very costing you nine million plus in the years ahead, um, you do have a, a, a kind of a reset or ability to really augment your roster and add to this team uh, next summer. So I, I think you look at the Bruins and signing a guy like Orlov. The one thing the Bruins don't want to have, and they don't really have right now, is Albatross contracts, right? Like maybe Riley's in that mix. Maybe Taylor Hall, he shouldn't be making $6 million, what have you. But there's not any contracts where you're like they need to get, you know, they've got, what, three, four more years in terms of a guy that's getting paid two, three million over what they should be. Like they don't really have that, which thank God, because if not, they would already be really up the creek. But I think you look at where Orlov is with his age, you know, his size, the way he plays. That's a guy that even if you are able to scrap together the six, six and a half, seven million to keep him year to year, don't really like uh, being team responsible for that kind of contract. So I think they're moving on there. Um, Hathaway, again, I think some people view him as being a little bit underwhelming uh, during his short stint here. I still think he has value. He's a guy that rack up a lot of hits, um, is good for 10 goals, you know, 15 to 20 points a year. It's just, again, I, I, I view that is a luxury the Bruins probably can't afford to have right now, right? Like, I think if you're the Bruins and you're looking at the fourth line, you're, you're probably looking at, you know, that's where the youth youth movement is, right? And Evan and I talked about that. I think the name of the game for the Bruins in terms of changing their forward core is injecting more speed. So I think if you look at next year, if your fourth line is guys like Johnny Beecher or, or Jakob Lauko or these guys that are on cheap deals, are hungry to, to earn more minutes, uh, can really impact the game with their speed, um, I think that's kind of your way to bring those guys in. So I think Hathaway is still a very good pro, and I think he's going to be coveted by a lot of teams. And I'm sure the Bruins love to have him back, but I think when you look at where the, the Bruins kind of need to cut corners here, uh, re-signing a guy like Hathaway when you got younger, hungry players in place, I think that's the route they take. And then the big one's Hathaway, which I think is a guy they want to retain, um, but it's going to be easier said than done. I think even if you, um, you know, move guys like, Forbert or O'Reilly or, or, or Grizzly or what have you. The, that's kind of the first guys we mentioned there. You're still probably going to have to move what? Is it 
Omark? Is it Taylor Hall? Is it someone like that? Like you're moving a, a key piece, I think, off this roster to retain Bertuzzi. And it's a tough one. I think it's just going to come down to what his price is going to be. If, um, you know, we get to July 1st and all of a sudden it's announced that he, you know, signs with um, the Red Wings again or he goes to the Avalanche or something and it's for $7 million. I think the Bruins and Bruins fans are like, all right, tippy cap, can match that. If he goes somewhere and it's 5.25 or 5.5 million a year, then you're like, all right, that, that that's painful because you probably could create kind of that cap space to retain him. And I think he's a guy that, yes, we can look at the the warts in his game defensively, what have you. Um, I think you look at what kind of dynamic he brought to this team last year, especially at the net front. Um, I think he's kind of the, the way the NHL and the game is evolving, it's guys like Bertuzzi at the net front who can make the biggest impact in terms of not afraid to get into the the blue paint, uh, screen goalies kind of wreak havoc, but also has the skill to, you know, how many times do we see him get the puck and in a half second he dishes it to David Pasternak or what have you. I think if you're building that next core, having a guy that already has really good chemistry with David Pasternak, who is, is and will be the focal point of your offense for the next almost a decade, Maybe it's good to surround with players like that. So I think the Bruins are going to make a very uh, concerted effort to get Bertuzzi back here, but you have to make quite a few other moves to make that work, um, to, to make it happen. So it's going to be easier said than done, but I think it's just going to come down to what uh, his payout's going to be. 5.25, five and a half. I think the Bruins are uh, in position there to try to retain him, but if we're talking about six and a half, seven, I just don't see it happening. So... It remains to be seen kind of what happens there, but I view Bertuzzi as the guy that they really want to tie to, to keep him here long-term. All right, let's go to another one from uh, Chris Green at Greeny CJ, who says, how worried should we be about Jeremy Swimman getting offer sheeted? Buffalo seems like an obvious landing spot, uh, position of need, and hurts a division rival. Very true. Uh, and it is something that, man, I... It's something we always talk about every offseason with offer sheets and how I think everyone, the media, fans, uh, it's such a great concept in terms of adding extra drama and intrigue to an offseason where honestly it's you see a few trades here and there. A lot of stuff happens on the first day of free agency, and, and that's kind of that. You know, you have the the lead up to free agency a couple of years where there's guys who might be hitting free agency and all of a sudden they they resign with their team, or you know, it's like when Stamkos almost went to market and everyone's like, oh. Who's going to get him? Uh, and he's back with Tampa Bay. Like, there's always a lot of intrigue with the NHL offseason, but not a lot of actual stuff that happens. It's very different from, I don't know, let's say the NBA, where Brad Stevens is trading Marcus Smart at, you know, 11.58 p.m. Or, or what have you. So it is something that you wish GMs would use a lot more in terms of offer sheets, in terms of really putting teams that are in a precarious spot, uh, you know, what the next move is going to be there. That being said, it's like, all right, we want more of those. But if you're a Bruins fan, you probably don't want that to be the case because, yeah, it's – I think when you look at Jeremy Swayman and uh, how much teams probably covet him, it's a prime situation where a team like Buffalo could really put the Bruins in a, a brutal spot because they can offer – you know, it's not like uh, other offer sheets you hear where it's like, all right, we can give this guy seven, eight million a year and teams really have to weigh the options in terms of letting that guy go to get – you know, one or two first round picks or what have you. Like that's the point where I'm sure maybe some Bruins fans are like, we'll take the 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 two first rounders if that's the case, considering how depleted our farm system is. But if you're the the Sabres and you're giving him 
four million, four and a half, uh, then you're kind of stuck in a, weird, a tough spot if you're the Bruins where you probably have to match that. You don't want him to go to a, a rival, especially a team that's on, on the up and up. Um, but we'll, we'll see what happens there. I have to imagine Buffalo, even though it would be great to really put the, the Bruins in a tough spot with how much limited cap space they have. Uh, that's still a team that has a guy like Devin Levi who's um, had a great career over at Northeastern, can really make a, a big impact for that team. Um, and that's a team that I also view as being, uh, you know, built for the future. They already made really good strides this past year with guys like Darlene and Owen Power and obviously Tage Thompson. I feel like now that they, they can kind of see the light at the end of the tunnel in terms of what they've been building there and adding a guy like Levi and what he can bring. They're probably not a team that's going to be in that mix, but listen, when you have a guy like Jeremy Swayman who's out there in the Bruins who are so limited with what they can do with their cap space, we're not be surprised if a few GMs are very interested in doing that to the Bruins. But again, uh, it's something we always talk about and very rarely does it happen as much as we wanted to. So I'm still pretty skeptical about that, but the Bruins already have their own issues in terms of just what they're going to do with that goaltender position because, I don't know, between, you know, signing Swayman to what could be a bridge deal and you're looking at three million, three and a half or what have you, unless you somehow convince Swayman to take a really cheap one-year deal as kind of the bridge to get through this really cap crunch year, because like uh, something has to give there with that goaltending position because I just can't see the Bruins committing nine million in total to that position especially when you look at how much variance there is at the goaltending spot um i mean look at aiden hill the third string goalie who just led vegas to a stanley cup so a lot of really tough decisions there and it's one that i feel like most bruins fans aren't going to be happy either way in terms of how they targeted right like if you are moving Olmark, unless it's a fantastic return it's still going to be something where you're going to be second guessing until we see the, how the season kind of plays out so but i do think in terms of an offer sheet, I think the, the Bruins' number one priority is making sure they don't lose a guy like Swayman, who I think they have full confidence in in terms of being that goalie for the future. Baseball season is in full swing, and there's no better place to get in on the action than FanDuel, America's number one sports book. Because right now, new customers can get a no-sweat first bet for up to $1,000. That's up to $1,000 back in bonus bets if your first bet doesn't win. Just go to FanDuel.com slash Boston to join today. And frankly, that's the best part of FanDuel. You can bet on anything. You want to wager on the odds of how many dingers Rafael Devers will have this year? Be my guest. Maybe the Bruins over under for wins next season. Go for it. So bet now on an app that's safe, secure, and super easy to use. And of course, an app where you can get paid instantly. Don't miss your chance to snag a no-sweat first bet for up to $1,000 when you join FanDuel today. Just go to FanDuel.com slash Boston to sign up. FanDuel, the official partner of Major League Baseball. Major League Baseball trademarks used with permission. 21 plus and present in mass. First online real money wager only. $10 deposit required. Refund issued as non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in 14 days. Restrictions apply. See terms at FanDuel.com slash sportsbook. Hope is here. Go to gamblinghelplinema.org or call 800-327-5050 for 24-7 support. Play it smart from the start. Go to gamesensema.com or call 1-800-GAM-1234. All right. Next question is from Joe Todd at Hey Joe Todd. I'm also very thankful that uh, most of these uh, questions we've received on Twitter are from 
uh, like normal uh, Twitter names, not anything heinous that I have to like uh, avoid saying here. So shout out to Chris, Jamie, Joe, all you guys for making sure we keep this a strictly PG rated uh, podcast. So Joe's question is not including the possible buyout candidates, uh, Mike Riley, Derek Forbert, Mitch Miller. Uh, what's your move to get some cap space back? Um, again, I, I think you're looking at the same usual suspects there, Joe, in terms of um, on defense. I think Macro is like still a pretty appealing uh, player that, again, I don't think you're getting this sweeping return from him, but I think he's a guy when you look at his skill set, um, there's plenty of teams that uh, can get guys like Derek Forbert who can, you know, get a lot of D zone starts, block shots, get on the PK. As much as I think some Bruins fans are soured on Grizzlick's game, his skill set is something that I think is coveted in today's NHL in terms of uh, puck movement, transition, killing plays, you know, with his stick. Uh, there's value there in terms of what he brings. So unlike a guy like Forbert or Riley, who might be easier said than done in terms of looping them in a trade and just getting a contract off the books, Bruins shouldn't have any issue there in terms of if you want to get Grizzly for a third round pick, second round pick, what have you, part of a, a larger package, there'll be offers out there. I don't think that's the issue. It's just, I think for the Bruins, whether or not you want to move Grizzly. And again, you look at how he was used in the playoffs, it makes you think that maybe the Bruins don't, value him as much but still I, I think when you look at one how many uh the limited options you have in terms of really changing around this this decor you can't go out and just spend to get other players that fit in uh you look at Grizzly and his versatility whether he can play on the left side right side he can play up with McAvoy which we know that pair is going to be good uh when they're both out there together but he can also move down to the third pair if it need be he is still a pretty valuable asset in terms of just you know being a a spare piece that you can kind of put up and down the line up there. So it's going to come down to whether or not the Bruins view it as, uh, you know, if that playoff line and how he was used, which is just a sign of things to come with how Jer- Jim Montgomery wants to use them. So he's a guy, a definite candidate there. Um, Olmark, again, we've talked about it time and time again, but you look at um, where his value is probably will never be higher than this year coming off of a most likely Vesna trophy win. Um, and again, the goalie market can be very odd in terms of what you get in terms of a trade. And as we said, the variance of that spot, but he's still a guy that if you're looking to shed, you know, 5 million, uh, you roll with Jeremy Swayman and, uh, you know, whether it's getting a veteran journeyman, you look at guys down in Providence, you have pieces in place there that can really make a difference, um, and can slot in. And again, you're not going to have the same tandem of, of Swayman and Olmark and, you know, this grouping that you relied on to win 65 games. And maybe that's just the price of doing business, right? And in terms of just the financial situation you're dealing with right now, in a perfect world, of course, you'd love to keep those two together. But if moving Olmark allows you to retain a guy like Bertuzzi, allows you to add another piece on defense or up front somewhere else, and you have the faith in Jeremy Swayman and whoever the backup is to – still carry that load and be the last line of what should still be a pretty structured defense with guys like Magaboy and Lindholm in place. Um, that is, has to be a viable option. And then again, I, I don't view, uh, you know, situation where you're moving guys like Marchand or anything like that, but in terms of a forward core, if you're looking for the most expendable player, uh, it probably still has to be Taylor Hall. I think he's still very good in his role. It was kind of a, a guy that sacrificed some of his own play to be a third line defense first kind of player there last year, but in the playoffs still really elevated his game. If you don't have Bertuzzi and he signs somewhere else and your, your contingency plan next year is maybe a second line of hall 
uh, Zaka, David Pasternak. Still going to do a lot of damage. Would not be surprised if that line plays together all year and hauls up to his usual capabilities. Could go right back to a 60-point season. I think he just has that skill set, um, even though he is getting a little bit older. But if it's between him and Bertuzzi and one has to go, I think he is still a guy, Taylor Hall, that could be on the move there. So those are the most likely candidates. And then we can get into, again, Bruins are looking at more of like a hockey trade or where you're moving proven assets to get a player back. You can look at a guy like DeBrusque where maybe the Bruins don't want to be the team that pays him his next big contract next year, especially if he's, let's say he scores 30 goals this year finally and and breaks through on that scoring threshold. He could be a guy the Bruins maybe aren't comfortable with giving six, six and a half, seven million dollars next year. So he could also be a guy, but still when I think you look at his cost and what he can still bring this team next year where you're still trying to compete and contend, I think that still is a bit of a long shot unless you're getting a proven piece back. You know, I don't think it's like a one-for-one swap, but if you're looking at DeBrusque or DeBrusque and Carlo or DeBrusque and, uh, you know, one of your top prospects, what have you, then you can maybe get a return back that can give you something, whether it's, again, we can look at Pierre-Luc Dubois or, or Elias Lindholm or something like that. Like there's other options out there that the Bruins might target if, even if it is giving up a potential 30 goal scorer in Jake DeBrusque. All right, let's see. Let's, uh, let's wrap up a few here. We got one question from Dylan Patemri, who says, uh, Dil- Dylan asks, if Therese Bergeron doesn't return, do the Bruins make a move for a 1C or try out Coyle and Zaka as their top centers? Yeah, I, I mean, that is, until we find out whether or not Bergeron and Krejci are coming back, that's going to set the table for the entire offseason. Again, I think we've talked about it before on this podcast. Hunch right now, if you had to ask me, is Krejci's gone. I think he's going down to South Carolina. It's relaxing. Uh, back for one year. Um, did his best to kind of put this team over the top. Retires uh, the great Bruin. I think Chris Bergeron's still back for one more year. I think when you look at uh, you know the fact that he's still playing at a high level, the fact that you kind of need a center that can probably take a very, very cheap deal just to get you under this kind of cap crunch for this upcoming season. Um, you know, Patrice Bergeron, again, it's something that it's unfair to keep relying on this guy to keep on bailing you out every year. But I also don't see a situation where Bergeron, who is so, I think, conscious of his role in this organization, leaving it in a good spot. Um, him, even though he is going to be 38 and, you know, the amount of wear and tear he has, I can't see him even though gave it as all this year, uh, a, a season that unfortunately ended in such a crushing fashion. I can't see him then being like, all right, well, team can't sign any top six centers uh, this upcoming year. And they still got a good core, but they're kind of up the creek in terms of what they have down the middle piece. Uh, I, I just can't see that be the, being the case for Bergeron. So I do expect him to be back. And if you have Bergeron and Zaka, not bad for in terms of, you know, rolling it back for one more year and then kind of weighing your options in terms of uh, next summer when all of a sudden you do have a lot more cap space and you can try to sign a player or, or trade for someone else. Like, you have more options next year. So Bergeron would really do them a solid if he did come back, um, to put it lightly. But if if not, then yeah, then it gets difficult, right? Because, again, I think the Bruins, when you talk to, like, their – management. I think they were very impressed what, with what they had there in those road games down in Florida when it was Coyle and Zaka. I mean, they both played fantastic in terms of those roles. It's just can those guys, especially maybe Coyle, do that in short stretches and really impress? I think absolutely. I don't think there's anyone who 
can look at those road games and you know view a guy like Coyle or Zaka as being weak links in those roles. It's just can they do that consistently over a 82 game plus 15, 20, 25 playoff games? That's a little bit tougher, right, in terms of just relying on those guys. You don't really have the options in place to turn to if they do kind of hit a rut there. So um, it's all going to, again, come down to just what the costs are, though, right? Like if you're trying to get a guy like Pierre-Luc Dubois, one, give up a lot of assets for him like it's not like i think you can just trade linus Olmark out there if he even has a i have to imagine winnipeg probably isn't high on Olmark's list of potential uh trade destinations so beyond the finding the right package to get that guy dubois you also have to sign him and if you know you look at listen to these reports that he wants nine million a year i don't know if you really have the uh the, the cap room to do that without again moving significant pieces out in any trade whether that's to Winnipeg, moving other assets out and getting just draft capital back, what have you. Very, very complicated this year, especially in terms of, um, you know, not only acquiring a guy, but signing him long-term. That That's the biggest issue. So, again, you look at uh, in the years ahead when you do have more cap room, whether it's you then have the fiscal flexibility to sign a guy like Elias Lindholm, who knows in another year or two when you have more younger prospects come up that could be appealing trade chips is – Clayton Keller going to be with the Arizona Coyotes in, in the coming years, right? I, I think like the Bruins overall mindset when you have this pretty solid core in place, but obviously a lot of question marks down the middle, it's keep building a strong core, stay competitive, and then keep on trying to find ways to you know add those uh, sought after centers, whether that's again, in free agency next year uh, trades, you're hoping that maybe a guy like Matthew Potra or another prospect steps up in the coming years. I, I think you have a pretty good, roster in place it's just going to be continually kicking that that problem down the road hopefully it solves itself right it's almost like the Bruins for a couple of years couldn't find that that perfect second line winger uh to add to a guy like David Krejci's line uh and it's just you know continually searching for it uh you finally got it a few years ago with Terrell Hall you had Bertuzzi this year you eventually find it it's all about just kind of having those things line up you're looking for another legitimate top four guy to pair with McAvoy in that defense you finally find it in Lindholm, even though it takes a couple of years to find it. So I think that's kind of how they view the center position. So you ideally have Bergeron and Saka there uh, this year, or or Bergeron and Krejci. Again, if Krejci wants to come back, the Bruins will absolutely take that. But I think the biggest you know domino uh, that's going to kind of set the tone for the entire offseason is whether or not Bergeron comes back, because with their cap situation, you desperately need that guy back for, again, a very, very cheap deal, which, again, Asking a whole lot of a, a future Hall of Famer there, a guy that still has given pretty much everything to this organization, but such is the kind of the hand the Bruins are dealt now with how their cap situation is. So I think that's going to be something worth following. And I guess to uh, to end this one, let, let's go a little off script here. Uh, uh, St. Mike 35, to round out our uh, questions, asks, one Dunkin' coffee flavor for the rest of your life. What is it? Uh, well, Mike, again, the most important thing, of course, is we're not talking about any hot coffee. We're not doing culotta, anything like that. We're doing classic iced. And it's a conundrum, I got to tell you. Uh, if you, we're talking year round, usually go with caramel, caramel swirl. But it's the summertime, they have butter pecan back. It, it's, you know, am, am I, you can't order it in like Christmas time, what have you. Or if you get like the fall, you have to go with the pumpkin flavored iced coffee, right? But now that it is year-round butter pecan, I think I would stick with it. 
I think I can go back to caramel now. If, if Butterbikin's around all year, you got to go for it. So I'm glad we cleared up this uh, very important question uh, at this point of the Bruins offseason. Um, and again, that's it for uh, today's episode of Poke the Bear, episode 152. Again, ideally next week we'll have a lot more tangible stuff to talk about. We'll have Evan back after his little trek down uh, down to Barnstable. So he'll he'll be back. We'll hopefully have some actual stuff to talk about, whether it's the draft, free agency, trades, uh, cap room, all that stuff. So again, thank you guys for listening. Again, this was episode 152 of Poke the Bear presented by our uh, great sponsor, FanDuel. Again, check out FanDuel.com. And again, thank you guys so much for listening, and I will see you guys next week. (laughs) 